thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Hey, there we go. Hey, my name is Nathan. I get the honor of serving on the team here. I love what God is doing at Radiant Church. It is incredible. And one of the joys of my week is consistently just hearing stories of how God is using you to make a difference. It could be with City Gospel Mission. It could be in a small group. It could be on serving on the Dream Team. There are so many ways that each and every single week I get to hear about stories of life change and impact. And it has nothing to do with anything that I've personally done. It has everything to do with God at work in your lives. So can you give yourselves a huge Huge round of applause. Come on. It is incredible. One of my favorite things that Pastor David has ever said in the entirety of Radiant Church is this, that Radiant will not be built on the gifts and talents of a few people you see on stage on a weekend, but on the, by the many people who call Radiant Church home. And every single week, we get to he- see and hear stories of that truth, of that vision being played out. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. You make all the difference in the world. Thank you for being incredible. Um, also, Pastor David started a series last week called Belong, and he jumped out of the series out of Romans chapter 12, and I love the book of Romans. I am a Bible nerd. I love the Word of God. Romans is Paul's, essentially, it's his theological crescendo. All of his works are complicated in their own way, but the book of Romans is the deepest dive Paul does theologically. It's incredible. It's complex. It's deep. There's layers. It's it's beautiful, and in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, he says this. He says, just as each one of us, as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. It's this incredible statement that Paul is saying that because we belong to one another, that when someone else's life gets better, our lives get better too. He is interweaving the reality of that you, it is impossible in the body of Christ for you to live in a silo. That everything you do impacts other people. It's incredible. It's just this in such a rich text. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump in to today's word. If you are an overachiever and you want to look ahead, if you were that kid in school, I was. We're going to land in 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm just going to let you, just let you know that right at the front. First, we're going to pray, and then we'll dive in, though. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, it's your word that changes our lives. It's your spirit alive inside of us. God, we pray that as the people of God, as we dig into your word, that you would illuminate it, that it'd be your spirit speaking to us today. God, and we would have the humility to embrace all that you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name. And all of Radiant Church said amen. Amen. In 1847, Alexander Graham Bell was born. You're like, Cool. 
I went back to sixth grade history class today. So, but here's the, here's the concept I want you to get in regard to what Paul had to say in Romans. I want you to think about this. In 1847, Alexander Graham Bell was born and his life impacted every single one of our lives. How many of you have a phone on you right now? It's okay. This is, this is not like school. No one's going to take it away from you. It's okay. How many of you guys have a phone on you right now? Beautiful. It's because Alexander Graham Bell invented a telephone that we now each have a phone in our pockets. It's, incre- it's crazy to think about how the impact of one person has had multiplication effects on every single one of us. But here is the most interesting part about Alexander Graham Bell is that he was not trying to invent a global communication system. He actually didn't even like the telephone. No, no, I'm being serious. He, would, he refused to allow a telephone to be installed in his office because he said it was too distracting. Who knew Alexander Graham Bell, 1847, just called us all out, right? But here's, he, the invention of the telephone was predicated on the fact that when he was 12 years old, he had a front row seat of his mother becoming deaf. And he spent the majority of his adult life working on inventions and things to help his mother, to help people who were deaf be able to communicate and hear. You see, he was trying to impact one person. And in impacting one person, he's impacted the entire globe. Human history has changed because of this one in person. You see, we are never siloed in following Christ. Our lives are never just our lives. We are so interwoven and attached to one another that it is an impossibility. It's impossible for us to think that I can just live my life without impacting somebody. It's not if you're impacting someone, it's who are you impacting or whom you're impacting for my grammar snobs. And there's this moment where if we embrace this truth, we realize that impact is simple, but it's never easy. There's these truths. Each year, I think I've told you guys this before, but each year, my wife and I, Rachel, we sit down and we just talk about what's the vision for our lives for this upcoming year? What, are we, what areas of our life do we want to grow in? And maybe it's a financial goal. Maybe it's a house project that we're like, hey, we really want to do this, or hey, we want to do this around the house, or Maybe it's something we want to get better at with parenting, or maybe it's just something random like, hey, I want to start flossing this year. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry to all the dentists in the room or watching online. I promise I've gotten better. Um, But there's this this thing, you know, it can be very, very small, but we just want to get better at something. We want to have incremental improvement. And for 2021, I just, I said, I want to, I'm not going to skip leg day. Like that's, I I told you, this is not, it's not complicated. I'm just. I just don't want to skip leg day. I'm going to work out. I'm, I'm never skipping one leg day the entire year. And here's why. Because there are two traps when you skip leg day. Number one is when you've skipped leg day and then you do leg day again. And then you walk like your legs are like you can't move. You just like, you know what I mean? It's that moment, that sore, like you need help getting up the stairs. You're like pulling your pants, you know, your jeans up the stairs to walk properly. And the second reason, which is um, a little bit more humorous, is that I don't want to be shaped like a Dorito. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you get very, like, broad, like, big, and then, like, your legs get very little because you've been skipping leg day. You're like a human Dorito. So I just, for one year, I'm not skipping leg day. And 
concept of this is it's very simple, but it's not easy. In fact, there's a lot of days where I, I feel like I'm just going through the motions. I don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing it, but I'm just, I'm going through the motions. And there is a terrible connotation with that phrase, isn't there? Like, think about it. If you, if you say someone's going through the motions, oh, they're just going through the motions. They're, they're mailing it in. They're not, they're being inauthentic. They're faking it. They're not real. They're uh, like, they're hypocritical, whatever. They're just going through the motions. But here's the deal. Doing the same thing over and over and over again is only a problem if you're doing the wrong thing. See, you can actually grow through the motions if you embrace them. Just because something simple does not mean that it's going to be easy. And going and growing through the motions in your Christian walk is actually one of the most beneficial things you could ever have happen to you. Never skip leg day. What's leg day spiritually? Scripture, prayer, Christian community. They're simple, but they are certainly not easy. So let's jump into the text today. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5. And the story of Naaman is, is one of the most fascinating Old Testament accounts for me because you see so many layers. You see so many different things at work within this text. And in this process of Naaman's healing, we actually see his salvation and his healing, which I'm sorry if you're not familiar with the text. I, I know I ruined the ending for you. He does get healed. He, he, his life is radically changed. I'm sorry. i but here's, here's why I like completely spoiled this is because I don't want you to get hung up on what happens. I want us to be able to focus in today on how it happens. What is the process in which Naaman walks through to where he's able to experience this life-changing moment in his life? So in 2 Kings chapter 5, we see this, verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. Like if you're gonna have an opening statement about who you are in the Bible, that is a strong opening statement. He is the commander of the army. You know what I mean? It's like, he was a great man. I mean, this is, this is a high praise. This is amazing intro. He was a mighty man of valor but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria and he would cure him of his leprosy. You see in the life of Naaman, we see someone who has everything he wanted, but not the one thing he needed. He was the commander of the armies. He had an entire nation's resources at his disposal. He was able to conquer, to raid, to do essentially whatever he wanted in life. And yet he could not meet this one need. He was a leper. And that's one of the traps that we find ourselves in, I think. That we live in a society, in a world that we can meet every single one of our wants, 
but there is a need that none of us are able to meet on our own. We can have Amazon same day ship something to your house and have it before dinner time, but there's an ache and a longing in all of our hearts that we have zero capacity to meet ourselves. Naaman had everything he wanted, but not what he needed. There was one thing holding him back. There's one thing holding him captive. There's one thing keeping him from full freedom. And if I were to ask you the question today, what's that one thing in your life? What is, what is the one thing that's limiting you? What's the one thought that just is constantly irritating you? What's the one thing that is holding you back? What is the one thing that's limiting you from being all that God has called you to be and to become in this life? Because it's that one thing that you need to walk and step into freedoms in today. It doesn't have to be some big, larger-than-life issue, but it's that one thing that's stopping you. It's that one thing that just won't go away on its own. What's that one thing in your heart today? And right in the middle of the story, we see this little girl, it says, this servant girl, who had been captured on one of Naaman's raids. And the story of this, this young woman is so impressive to me. I mean, it's such a short account of her, of her impact in her life, but yet there's so much, there's so much longevity in the impact that she had because she had every right in our world to, to be offended and to be um, angry and uh, to live with a scowl on her face because, I mean, let's be real, Naaman had raided her town and captured her. At best, this young girl is an indentured servant. At worst, this young girl is a slave. And yet here she is pushing her own prejudice aside, pushing her own offense aside, which is probably rightfully justifiable. She's pushing it aside and actually looking to the well-being of someone else. Even though she's looked at as little more than a servant. This unnamed servant girl becomes the catalyst for Naaman's healing and salvation because she chose to look beyond her own assumptions, her comfort, her well-being to the well-being of another person. You see, God loves to use seemingly ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Just think of how different Naaman's life would have ended up if this girl had not spoken up in this moment. I mean, think about it. He has leprosy, so he would have died isolated, alone, far removed from any seat of power, of influence. He would have been isolated. He would have been alone. He would have died alone. And this young girl, because she chose to speak up, completely transformed his life. This young servant girl displays what I would say is authentic spiritual leadership. You see, often we think that leadership is, is about positions or titles or where your name is at, at an org chart or a flow chart, but it's really, it's about one life influencing another person. And I think when we take on that mentality, we, take on, we embrace that truth of leadership and influence, all of a sudden we start seeing our everyday reactions in a different light, in a different context. 
So now, instead of trying to become a person of title on an org chart, maybe we can say, I'm, how, can I, how can I show kindness to somebody today? How can I influence them today? When your barista is taking a little bit longer to make your coffee just the way that you want it, do you respond with snide comments and impatience? Or do you, do you look at them and smile and say, no worries, take your time? When you're in a drive-thru trying to get lunch for your kids because they're all screaming in the back seats because their blood sugar has dipped way too low, and the, the drive-thru and the person in front of you has ordered 47 custom sandwiches, and all you want to do is honk your horn at them, what happens if you just turn it into a, a moment to tell your children about, this is why we're patient? Or if your wife is brilliant, this is why we keep snacks in the car. <laughs> but what would happen if we take those moments and say, how can I influence you today? Who can, who can I influence? Who can I show kindness to? Who can, I, who can I point and show the love of God to today? You see, I love the way Mother Teresa said it. She said, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. Sometimes doing an influential act is actually doing a small act. As we keep going through the text, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 5. So Naaman goes to the king of Syria. I'm going to paraphrase this portion just for a little bit. And he goes to the king of Syria, and he, he has this beautiful summation of all this, this little girl, this servant girl told him. He said, thus and thus, she sell me, so can I go? Just, I'm just telling you, that's not a good way to, to cover a, you know, a full conversation. Like if you're talking to someone and they're asking you what happened, thus and thus is probably not an adequate answer. But he says, hey, here's what happened. Hey, I need to go to the king of Israel. You know. So the king sends Naaman with a letter of introduction, with gold, with silver, with changes of clothes, this, this pomp and circumstance, this great thing, this, like, this whole entourage is going with him now. He shows up to the king of Israel, and he presents his letter of introduction, because think about it. Naaman's the commander of the army of Syria. He's not Jewish. He's not from Israel or Judah. He has this letter of introduction because he's trying to avoid an international incident because he's coming, and he says, hey, I, I was told if I come to you, I can be healed. The king of Israel starts freaking out, thinking that this is a pretext for an invasion because he's like, "Who? I, I am not God. I can't heal you. He rips his garment, which would have been like a massive national issue in this context, Elisha, the prophet, hears about it and says, King, don't worry about him. Send him to me. So Naaman, his whole entourage, then go to the front door of Elijah's house. And we see this, this moment. We see this interaction where theologians and commentators alike, they say that this is not only Naaman's healing process, but this is his process in salvation. This is him stepping into a relationship with the living God. In verse 10, he says, and Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. 
But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leprosy. Are not the Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would not you have done it? How much more than when he tells you to wash and be clean? Naaman became offended because it didn't look like he thought it would. Naaman is in this moment where he, he almost misses out on what God wants to do in his life. He almost misses out on freedom. He almost misses out on healing. He almost misses out on salvation because he was seeking kings and prophets when God wanted to speak through servants. If you look at the account of Naaman, God never once speaks directly through a king or a prophet. The only people who speak to Naaman about what God had to say were servants. There was a servant girl. He goes to the door of Elijah. Elijah doesn't come out himself. He sends a messenger to speak to him. And then when he's about to stomp off in rage, angry, Naaman's servant then comes to him and says, Hey, um, hey master, we, we came a long way for this. Why, why don't you just try it? Like, think about this. Naaman has this idea. He is so offended in his mind because it didn't look the way that he expected it to. He, I thought it would be better. I thought it would be different. I thought that the man of God, I thought Elijah was going to come out and stand impressively in front of me and wave his hand over the spot. And then I would be healed. I, he, he's literally going, hey, hey. I got to go dip in this muddy Jordan River. Aren't the Arbana and the Farbar, aren't they better? And can I tell you something? Damon's probably right. These two rivers are renowned for how clean they are and how cold the water is. These rivers, they're kind of nice. The Jordan's kind of dirty. Damon's not wrong. The issue isn't, is Naaman right or wrong? The issue becomes, is Naaman willing to set aside his ego and his offense so that he can be obedient? Because it's in obedience that we find freedom. It's in obedience that we find healing. It's in obedience to the word of God that we find deliverance and fulfillment to those places in our heart that only God can touch. Naaman was looking for like this Indiana Jones moment. I'm going to go on this great quest and I'm going to have this bag of sand. I'm going to swap it out for the gold treasure and I'm going to be chased by a giant ball and I'm going to get away. And, you know, and his servant's going, wait a minute. What's wrong with it being simple? What's wrong with it not being what you expected? See, Naaman's ego flared up and he wanted to go back to something and somewhere that had never helped him before. Isn't that just like us? Our egos flare up. We get offended. 
I, I cannot believe, no, I, there's no, I cannot believe it is, I'm, I've been praying for this and it doesn't look the way that I think it should look. So you know what? Fine. I'm just going to go back over here and I'm going to go back to this relationship. I'm going to go back to this job. I'm going to go back to this, this thing that will comfort me, even though it doesn't provide any healing or freedom. And I'm just going to, it's just, it's too much. I cannot let my pride, my ego, it's too offensive. It's too simple. It is so basic. I'm better than that. I'm going to come back over here to these things that have never done anything for me before in my life, but they're comfortable. God is calling all of us away from the things that are comfortable into the simple, into the humble, and into the offensive. Naaman was walking along this journey, and it's in that journey that he found freedom. God intentionally picked the muddy river. He chose a river that didn't look great. He intentionally chose humility in speaking through servants instead of kings and prophets. And it was intentionally simple. Dip seven times. We keep going through the text in verse 14. He says, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Isn't it interesting how Naaman starts with listening to the voice of a child. And by the end, his skin has become like a child's. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. Naaman goes back. He goes to the Jordan. And he, and he dips himself seven times. Just think about this process for a moment. You have this great military commander. And he's going to the Jordan River wading into the river. He dips himself under the water, comes up one time. And I, I, I don't know if it was all at once. I don't know. If, I, I don't think in my own holy imagination, the text doesn't say this, but I, I don't think anything happened the first time. And then he dips himself a second time into the river and comes back up. And then a third time, and then a fourth time, and a fifth time, and a sixth time. And, and just in my own mind, I, I can't imagine anything happening or anything looking like it's happening in this moment. But can you just pause and think about the thought life of Naaman in this moment? He either thinks that I'm, this is the dumbest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. I am the commander of the Syrian armies, and this joker's got me out here dipping in this dirty river seven times. I'm at six. I might as well go ahead and do it seven. Like, I don't, I don't know what his thought life would have been like. But from the text, it seems like he's got a little bit of an ego here. And he goes down the seventh time, comes up, wipes the water out of his face, and begins to look down at his arms and his hands and sees that he, his skin has become brand new. Sometimes growing in freedom and growing in maturity happens incrementally. 
but we don't always see the development happening inside of our own hearts until after it's been a little while. You see, as we follow Jesus and we commit just to taking steps, it's just, you know, you just take a step. This is actually what we tell every small group leader. If you're in a small group, our hope is not that you actually go and become a fully mature Christ follower after one semester of small groups. It's, we just want you to take a step. And then the next semester, you take another step. Then you take another step and another step and then another step and then another step. And then you look back on your life. You don't see the incremental growth because it's been small in the moment. But when you look back after years of following Jesus, you can say, look how far the Lord has brought me because I didn't realize it at the moment, but God was doing a deep work inside of my life. Every single time I had an opportunity to take a step, I just took one step. I wasn't trying to, to become a, an Olympic long jumper in my walk with Christ. I was just, I was taking a step and just taking another step. Growing in Christ is incremental. It is scripture. It is prayer. It is Christian community. It is scripture. It is prayer. It is Christian community. It is scripture. It is prayer. It is Christian community. Because it's so simple, we think it doesn't work. But simple does not mean easy. Simple means it works. Your Christianity is going to be better measured by years and decades than weeks and months. One season of your life is not the totality of your life. Don't, don't get so fixated. Don't get tunnel vision on just one season. It's like this. Imagine your entire life was a teenager. Imagine if, you, if your whole life was just like being a teenager. Everyone who's, exactly, I'm just going to leave that one there. You can do that, whatever you want. One season is not your entire life. And even though it may, you may be in seasons and have moments in life where you feel like nothing is happening, if you are faithful to the basics, if you are faithful to the simplicity of spiritual growth, of the things that will grow you in Christ, over time, you will make so much more progress than if all you're doing is chasing the, the, the leaps and bounds. Here's why. Because God leaves no room for our own ego in this relationship. Jesus is a God who will displace everything else. And the first thing he's going to move is our own ego. To think that we've got it figured out. To think that we know better. Most of us would never say that we are better. We just would say that we know better. And, and isn't that the sliver of pride active in our life? It's this moment where because something's easy, we feel like we don't do it. Jim Rohn actually said it like this. He said, the easy things to do are also the easy things not to do. We drift toward complicated. It's not that any of us would ever intentionally, I think, in our lives go, hey, you know what? I want to actually figure out the most complicated way to grow in my relationship with Jesus. I want the, the most complicated thing possible. I need like a flow chart. I need like, I need a, a thesaurus. I need all of these things and I need to make it complicated. None of us would ever actually say that. But what we would do is we drift toward complicated. Just because it's simple does not mean that it's easy. 
Everywhere you look, there are opportunities to become offended, to be disappointed, and to complicate. Think about your personal relationships. Think about your work relationships. Man, this person, they, they, they overlook my talent over and over and over again. Don't they know I am a big deal? They don't honor me the way that I think they should honor me. They, they, don't, they don't listen to my ideas well enough, or they don't activate my ideas as fast as I think they should, or, or I should have gotten that position, or I'm, I have way more talent than they are. I have, my resume is way better than their resume. This is better. I, I, how can they? Why are they treating me like this? We are surrounded by opportunities to get offended. We are surrounded by opportunities to be disappointed. We are surrounded by opportunities to complicate things. Because we live in a world that says it's okay to skip steps, to circumvent process, to ignore the basics. But the first step to growth in any area of your life, but in particular spiritual growth, is embracing the, the basics and admitting that implementing them into your life with consistency is anything but easy. I heard it like this. Successful people do consistently what unsuccessful people do occasionally. Christian, Christian life, growing and maturity in Christ is about becoming others-focused. You arrive there, you get there by spending time in the word, time in prayer, and time in Christian community. You can't punt on small groups and hope to arrive as a fully mature Christian. Why? Because in small groups, you're going to get offended. Someone's going to make you mad. At some point, you're going to have a disagreement about something with somebody and then we, we kind of scoff, start scoffing. Oh, I don't need that. We walk through life with a sneer on our face going, that's, that's, that's for those people who don't have it together like I have it together. Right? And we start walking through life with a sneer. We scoff at the basics. Theodore Roosevelt, one of my favorite presidents, he has this famous speech called The Man in the Arena, and in it he says this, that the, the most miserable way for a human to live, for a person to live, is with a sneer on their face. I wonder how many of us today have, if we're honest with ourselves, have a sneer covered up with that friendly church smile. But becoming mature Christians isn't removing that sneer and saying, even though it's humble, it's simple, and it's offensive, I'm going to embrace the simplicity of spiritual growth. Time in the word, time in prayer, time with Christian community. To grow in maturity and freedom in Christ, we have to lay hold of what God has already provided for us. I love this story of Naaman because it starts out with this young girl saying, giving Naaman the answer at the very beginning. If, if you were with the prophet in Israel, he'd heal you. 
Like think about the, the confidence of that statement, the faith of that statement, but also the assurity of that statement. If you, can get to, if, if you go to the prophet, he'll heal you. Naaman knows the projected outcome before he ever begins the process. And yet in the process, he still has to be humble enough to listen to servants. He has to push through his offense because it wasn't a king and a prophet speaking to him. And he had to embrace the simplicity of dipping into the Jordan River seven times. You have to put your ego aside to embrace this. Paul, I love the, the writings of Paul. He echoes the story of Naaman, I think, so succinctly in the New Testament in Colossians chapter 2. And in Colossians, you see Paul is essentially their, their spiritual grandfather. Paul had not been to Colossus at that point in time, and he had impacted people who had then went there, started the church, started the community, and then he's writing a letter to address them, and he's like, he just is overflowing with love for them, overflowing with a desire for them to grow spiritually, to mature, and to, to come to the fullness of their faith walk in Christ. And it's this moment that he's, he's saying, hey, I want you guys to get this so badly. And he writes this in Colossians 2, verse 6. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Paul wants them to learn that just like Naaman, it is not about complication. It's about fascination. It's not about having a larger life. It's about having a focused life. Naaman had to set aside everything so he could focus on the task at hand. Tip seven times. Paul's saying, I want, I, want, I want you guys to focus on the task of hand that you need to, to lay hold of what's already yours. As you have received Christ, walk in him. You need to lay hold of what is already yours. It's possessing your possessions. You see, a ticket left at will call does you no good unless you actually go and take it. It is yours technically, yes, but you get no benefit unless you actually go pick up the ticket and begin to use it. Paul says something similar in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You see, you have to work out what God has worked in. It's possessing experientially what is yours eternally through birthright in Christ. You have been born again in Christ. So because of that, you have access to all that God has for you. And it's not just going to, um, it doesn't happen. You actually begin to work it out in your own heart, to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. But often what we do is we walk around like spiritual Doritos. We want to have puffed up shoulders and arms, but we don't ever want to work our legs. We don't ever want to do the basics. When the reality is, as you work the basics, your entire body gets stronger to work out what he has worked in. It's humble, a servant. It's offensive. Aren't there, aren't there other rivers that are better? Come on, isn't there a better way to do this? 
And it's deceptively simple. Dip seven times. Simple does not mean easy. Paul's saying to the church, Naaman's life is echoing this truth. That the power in knowing and walking with Jesus day after day, that there's a, there's a simplicity in the power of that. And that is how you build a life. That is how you sustain a life. That's how you change a life. That's how you impact someone for the gospel of God. It's by walking with Jesus day after day after day after day, never getting tired of the basics, never getting tired and saying, this is so simple. This is lame. I want to do something more. I want to, I want to be something more. But having a fascination with the basics of following Jesus is the most beautiful place you could ever live in your pursuit of Christ. Alan Stein Jr. is an author. He wrote a biography about Kobe Bryant. So I'm a huge basketball fan. I, I, I love basketball. He actually had this incredible opportunity to, to watch a private workout with Kobe Bryant in 2007. Now in 2007, I want to set the stage for you a little bit because in 2007, Jordan, his day had already passed. So Michael Jordan, he was, he was retired for the second time. Like it was over and LeBron was still so early on in his career. His, his greatness arc had not really ascended to its peak yet. And right here in the middle of the, this era, Kobe Bryant is the greatest basketball player on the planet. And Allen Stein Jr. had this opportunity to actually watch a private personal workout of Kobe Bryant's. It was at four in the morning. He shows up. He watches the entire practice. Just, I mean, I can... I can only imagine being a fly on that wall. But afterward, he says this. Alan says, I really enjoyed watching your workout this morning. No problem, Kobe replied. And then I hesitated, not wanting to sound rude or, or worse, condescending. You're the best player in the world. Why did you do such basic stuff? It says that Kobe flashed that, that million-dollar Kobe Bryant smile and said, why do you think I'm the best player in the game? Because I never got bored with the basics. If we want to become great in God's eyes, we have to become fascinated with the basics. We can't become bored with the basics. Because embracing them wholeheartedly is the key that unlocks the door of spiritual growth, of purpose, of mission, of identity, of knowing who you are as a fully mature, fully realized follower of Jesus. And if we're, if we're skipping the basics and we're trying to go around them and not, and not wholeheartedly embracing them, we'll never fully arrive. We'll never be all that we can be. See, God intentionally picks a muddy river. It's intentionally humble. It's intentionally simple. Scripture, prayer, Christian community. We so quickly want to overcomplicate things. G.K. Chesterton he said this, that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. 
it has been found difficult and left untried. What began your relationship with Jesus Christ is the same process. Those same basics are the things that will mature you in your relationship with Christ. It's simple. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It's humble. He left all of heaven and came and took the form of a servant, even a bond servant, to die for us. And it's, it's ripe for opportunity to be offended. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The simplicity and the basics that started your relationship with Jesus is the very same mechanism that will mature you in your relationship with Jesus. Just wherever you are right now, I'd like you to take a moment and just close your eyes and bow your head. And the reason why we do this is because I want you to just be able to create a little mental bandwidth. Just right where you're at between you and God. Maybe you're in here today. Maybe you're, you're watching online. And you, you've never began a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. This is the most impactful decision that you could ever make in your life. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus doesn't make room for any other way. He is the way. So if you're in the room today, you're watching, and you say, yes, I want to I cross that line of faith. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ today. Just right where you're at, whether you're in the chat, you're in the room, I just want you to lift your hand up just right where you're at. Amen. If you raise your hand, I want us to, to pray this prayer together. I'm going to lead you, but I just want you to make these your, your words. Jesus, I give you my life. I embrace your work on the cross. I give you all of my life. And I'll follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Radiant, can we put our hands together for every single person who just prayed that prayer? Amen. And just right where you're at, I want to I take another moment here. And I want us to, to do some heart work on our, in our own lives. So if you're in the room and you're just, you've allowed your ego to take control, if you've allowed a fence to, to push aside the basics, and you want to take a, a, a spiritual step today. And I want to embrace the basics of spiritual growth. 
Maybe you're struggling with time in the word. Maybe you're struggling in having a, a vibrant prayer life. Maybe you're, you're struggling with Christian community. Whatever it is, whatever that thing is that's, that's holding you back. When we talked at the beginning about stepping into the freedom that God has for you, what's that one thing in your life that's holding you back to where if that barrier were removed, you could take substantial steps in following Jesus? Whatever that is for you, if you've, if you've got that thing, just right where you're at, I just want you to stand on your feet right where you're at. I wanna pray for you. Just stand to your feet. Amen. And even if you're watching at home, just stand up. Just even as an act of obedience, just stand up if that's you. Jesus, I pray right now for my friends. God, even as Paul said, we are a family. We are the body of Christ. So I pray right now for each and every single one of these people, God, who are standing up today. God, in the room, I pray that people are standing up in their homes all around the country today. God, I pray right now that the power of your Holy Spirit would be at work inside of their hearts and their lives. God, your word says that you're not a respecter of person. What you will do for one person, you will do for another. And God, in the same way that you met Naaman and you push through his offense and his ego to healing and to freedom and to salvation. God, I pray right now for each and every single one of these people standing up. God, I pray that you would do a work inside of their hearts. God, the deep work, the only that you can do, Jesus. God, I pray that today would be a moment where they find themselves spiritually, even just dunking themselves into the Jordan River. And maybe they've done it one time, maybe they've done it six times, God, but I pray that in this moment, God, this would almost be the spiritual seventh dip and they would step into healing, they would step into freedom and they would step into the fullness of God in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Ready, can we stand on our feet? I wanna pray for us. We're gonna worship again, we're gonna go back in and sing another song, but I wanna pray for us as we do. Jesus, I pray that your word would do a deep work, that you, your word would, would transform our hearts and lives, God. God, that the power of your Holy Spirit would be active and alive in our hearts. God, that there would be a holy fascination with the basics, God, that we would become fascinated with the word of God, that we would become fascinated and devoted to prayer, God. I pray that there would be a consecration that happens in our lives as we push aside ego and, and follow after you, Jesus.